the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. This is the final London International Shipping Week edition. I am here with Michelle Vizi Bockman, Linton Nightingale, Richard Clayton, and Anastasios Adamopoulos, the core of the Lloyd's List editorial team, who have been out and about in London this week, uh, charting everything from domestic Brexit concerns to the future of the industry from 2050 and beyond. So I want your key takeaways from the week. What have we learned? What are you concerned about? And uh, you know, what surprised you? Michelle, let's start with you. Okay, well, I think that 2050 is the new 2020 from the, from the conversations that I've been listening to and the debates this week. And one of the most interesting things I found is that people are already talking about LNG-powered ships being obsolete or perhaps being overtaken by alternative fuels before some of those ships have hit the water. Um, one of the, the standout comments was made today is the fact that um, when ordering decisions were being made, say in 2018, 2017, about what type of fuel, future fuel to look at for their vessels, um, LNG was considered the, the fuel of the future. And now it's being talked about as a transition fuel as mm. we, we move to a, a zero carbon economy. And I, I think that's something that ship owners have really yet to fully grasp. And with billions of dollars invested in this new technology, mm. now we're talking about it perhaps being, um, perhaps having a lifespan of maybe 10, 15 years or beyond the age of many of these vessels that have yet to hit the water. It was interesting to note yesterday because we were both at the International Chamber Shipping Conference and mm. you had, uh, you know, this. Uh, panel of, of climate scientists and, uh, and, and and policy wonks who were you know really pushing the shift to zero carbon and basically pitching LNG into the long grass and saying this is a transitional fuel and it's not worth your time. Well, one of the, the most interesting and most sobering statistics was given by a climate change scientist who said that um, if you look at scenarios to ensure that you don't have an average global warming beyond 1.5 degrees Celsius, you need to move to zero carbon emissions, sorry, 50% zero carbon emissions by 2030. Mm. And that's one ship generation ahead of what's currently being planned for. And when he presented scenarios for a 2% degree Celsius average temperature rise, um, which is what I think the IMO um, target is predicated on, yeah. that's, that, that is not really going to perhaps um, wash with policymakers in five, ten years as they consider this. It was entertaining watching the uh, faces of a few of the ship owners in the room as they uh, digested what that might mean for their um, uh, income over the next uh, 20 to 30 years. Linton. I was just going to say, when, when you say that, I mean, DMVGL was saying that they think that LNG will be the fuel, I think it's it 40% they were saying? Mm. One of the scenarios, yeah. yeah so <coughs> yeah. this is what they were saying, is that this is going to be the, the fuel. But then speaking to other people, I guess with LNG, people talking about you were talking about this transitional fuel, but then and we're moving, moving towards decarbonisation. But then there's also the critics of LNG saying that this is just a shortcut and it doesn't actually achieve anything. Which is, you know, the world is still going to warm up with LNG because of is it methane gas that it emits as well. Yeah, it's it's the methane slip. Yeah, exactly. So. I don't know. I mean, I'll ask you guys, do you think it's just a shortcut? Well, it's not a shortcut. The rejoinder to the argument is, of course, that LNG is an established fuel. It's gone through a process where it is now 
immediately available, whereas a lot of the zero carbon options that we're looking at, mm. synth fuel, uh, ammonia, even hydrogen, you're talking you know, a decade off before it's even viable on short sea. I think the key here is as well that it's on the deep sea trade as well. And now that, you know, on the container shipping trades, they're looking mm. LNG is the fuel that they're all looking to. Mm, yeah. And once it's on the deep sea trades, it's, it's there, essentially. Well, it is. But what worries me is you've got CMA CGM, who came out with a big landmark investment and said, we're going to go deep sea with LNG. Great, I thought there's going to be lots of other people following suit and nobody has and this is the issue you had LNG as an established technology you basically had the infrastructure being paid for by the Scandinavian governments in development phase to get it through short sea and now it's being imposed uh, at, a, at a you know deep sea people have proved it as technology and yet the uptake is way off where everybody was predicting it was going to be by this point that worries me in terms of what that means for ammonia hydrogen synth fuels if we can't even see, you know, a relatively good option that exists right now and is a viable alternative being taken up, what hope do we have for the uh, for the future? Well, I think um, that the NVGL projection as well and any other projection also is based on the assumption that there are going to be some policies that come into place, mm -hmm. regulations that are going to force the shift that you say has not happened yet. So that's that's yeah. the question. I mean. The, the whole huge projection that the uh, MEGL had was based on the idea that there will be policies that will force it and that mm. the the price of the fuel is going to be declining over the next few years. So it's two big assumptions. Yeah. Uh, but to, to answer your question of why people haven't picked it up, even though we had that landmark order, I just think the incentives uh, have not been there. And that's one of the things I've heard a lot of ship owners say, or from the shipping world say the past this past week mm. that, um, you know, we are, they all started with, you know, we, we are in favor of combating climate change, but we don't really see the incentives yet to experiment or even just invest in more costly fuels. And we need to see that from so somewhere. But this is going to come from the outside. Then, from no, well, I don't know. I think this is the, 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 you know, the surprising message that, you know, Michelle and I were listening to at the, the ICS conference was don't expect this to be cheaper. If anything, this is going to be doubling the amount yeah. of, you know, cost to the business. You're going to have to deal with this as an industry. You're going to have to pass this on, but you're going to have to do this collectively. So, you know, people who are waiting to see, uh, you know, ammonia and synth fuels become cheaper alternatives are going to be waiting a very long time. And I think that is, you know, that's that that's concerning because I think we've almost got it in mind that you know this is like electric cars. Mm. You know, we, we, people are sitting there waiting for it to be slightly cheaper, slightly more reliable, and then we'll go for it. And it's not. This it is going to be expensive. It's going to be have to. Be, it's going to have to be something that's done uh, at, a, at a macro level, that's supported internationally, and done in step with lots of other things. Because it's not just a question yeah. of finding the right fuels. It's about finding the right infrastructure, and a lot of the things that people are projecting are going to bring the cost down. Almost exclusively rely on cheap renewable electricity that mm. just doesn't exist yet. So a lot of this has absolutely nothing to do with shipping. Yeah, but if we are going to meet those twenty fifty yeah. targets. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we've got to have some agency. So I, I, I do have some sympathy for the LNG lobby that say, actually, this is available now and you can do something. Yeah, and I, that's what one of the panelists was saying. They were having a discussion about the fuels. I can't remember in which session, but he said, you know, all this talk is good, but we're not going to decide at the end of the day. It's exactly. going to be the market and the infrastructure and that's it. So 
And I think that's actually probably one of the themes I've also seen coming through elsewhere in that, you know, much of the debate is, is things that are happening to shipping. These are not things that we have as an industry got agency over. This is something that we are going to have to choose how to react to. Yeah. And just I, I'd, I'd like to say that, um, you know, that's not something new, what you're saying about no. the, the external exposure. But I think what was interesting this week was to see all these the people from the finance world come out very forcefully this week mm. and just sort of you know, almost in an orchestrated way in different sessions and different people and say, look, we're just not from, I'm talking about the, you know, the main banks uh, and the traditional financing sources that we're just not going to deal with uh, companies that don't take into consideration their environmental responsibilities. And I mean, you could say a lot, yeah, and you could say a lot about the motivations behind that, but I think it was really interesting because that was a recurrent theme. I think it will ultimately be the thing that forces people yes, down well that's, the yeah, road. So that's going to be one of the things. Yeah, it should. Well, one of the sessions I enjoyed most this week mm. uh, was was one that I I took part in, and it was about what can universities and academies teach mm. students of the future. So, you need to understand what's going to happen to the industry, and then teach them you know today so that they're ready for it in ten years time. And at the moment, it's not about what's happening to shipping mm. is what happening to sanctions and geopolitical uh, movements and, and change and environment and the economy. You've got to understand the world before you then start teaching shipping. Yeah. The, other, the other thing, and I, I really feel strongly about this, in that session there were ooh, 12, 15 students working on projects and they were passionate about these projects. They've spent so much time and, and, and effort. Uh, it could be fuel, it could be infrastructure, it could be cargo handling, um, so many different projects, but they've spent so much energy on these. And I loved hearing that because you know they are the ones that are going to take this industry forward. And if that is the case, this industry's got a very good future. The people who really are thinking about the next generation are already in place. I, it, yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's good that we have seen training come up a few times, probably not as much as I would like. Mm. I, I think yeah. uh, a lot of the, uh, the missing bits for me this week have been, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, wise words and, and good intentions around from here to 2050, but very little focus on who is actually going to be doing this. And the fact that, you know, as an industry, we are desperately in need of new talent uh, that is not the traditional shipping intake and I don't think we're doing enough as an industry to go, uh, to get those people in there. I would like to have seen people from outside the industry come to talk to the industry mm. to tell us what's yeah. happening in their world, in the defence world, in cyber security world perhaps. Because I think they've got a lot of experience that we really need to tap into. Okay, final thought before we wrap this up and, and head down to the uh, the gala dinner to mark the end of London Shipping Week. Uh, we can't really finish a, a, a London discussion without some focus on Brexit. Now, um, the domestic uh, picture has been you know, relatively positive. Yeah, Nusrat Ghani, the shipping minister, has been omnipresent, um, drive-by <laughs> yeah. speeches and... Uh, <laughs> And, 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 and frankly, I, I, I don't know when she's actually slept, but uh, she has been a very active shipping minister, probably the most active I've seen in a long time. That's good. And uh, we've seen some positive announcements, you know, good noises coming out of the UK ship register. Uh, lots of uh, pledges in line with the Maritime 2050 uh, strategy from the government. 
But Brexit has cast a fairly long shadow over a lot of these discussions, let's be honest. I don't know <laughs> <I> mean, the <laughs> pause after that. <laughs> no, they, they have. Um, but interestingly enough, this week, uh, maybe some other people attended these meetings. But aside from, you know, a few of the port sessions, which obviously uh, inevitably had to do with that, mm. uh, this week slightly, you know, weirdly didn't feel like it was about that. Uh, I yeah, thought it yeah. was going to be yeah. more breakfast focused. I, I, I thought so too. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. even the conversations you had with people, even from here, uh, that are based in London, they weren't really... I don't know why, maybe they're fed up. They're, uh, there was a little bit of chat in the, in the receptions and the canopy sessions and all the rest of it, but actually the focus on stage is probably not, not focused not on Brexit at all. Actually. Maybe the British are a little bit too self-absorbed. It's not about them. Well, there's a lot of international, <laughs> there's a lot of international trade and, yeah, that we deal with. It's not only about Europe. And if we're thinking about China and we're thinking about Brazil, thinking about America, they don't get so wrapped up in the Brexit debate. Uh, but 50% of our trade still is with the European Union, so there's yeah, a lot of conversations still Graham Stewart, the MP for, in, is he MP for investment. investment, he was yeah, very, yeah. he was bigging Brexit up earlier on this morning, and he was yeah. very confident, but, or the government, <laughs> <laughs> trying to be confident, um, he was saying that the government's going to be more committed to maritime and invest more, and it's perhaps, I guess, given the maritime sector, not as enough coverage as it has done in the past. It's looking well, I think this, right, was, yeah. this was the point that uh, we, we made with uh, Harry Theacharya and Michael Parker in yesterday's podcast, yeah. you know, where actually one of the real positives out of Brexit, if, you, if you're looking for a silver lining here, is that it, it has finally focused government attention on shipping and the fact that it is so essential no, to the UK economy. And it has there rather, is one positive. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And also, the, I'd say the other thing is... You know, apart from the, the you know the public photo opportunities that you've had, and you know it's nice that we had a session with uh, Boris Johnson, and you know he's 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 out there supporting. We've had a lot of government ministers knocking around the place. Actually, in the background, there has been a lot of relatively high-level political Correct. dialogue Correct. that hasn't been put out in press releases, yeah. that hasn't been the subject of stuff on stage, but we all know has been happening. And you know, I've chaired a couple of off-the-record things here and there. I sat between Nusrat Ghani and the Chinese ambassador on Monday and, you know, it was a relatively interesting dialogue going on there. Positive stuff. And I think what the political class has been using London Shipping Week for has been actually using it as an opportunity to have some uh, some back-channel discussions on a lot of the trade issues that they need to yeah. be talking about. So from that respect, it's actually very positive. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least they want you to think that way. Yeah. Well, we'll I, I hope so. Yeah, we'll we'll see. You know, I'm, I'm I, sure there is yeah. an element of bluster, but I have genuinely seen some of this yeah. firsthand, so but I know what's happening. Just to, on the Brexit side, uh, something which is perhaps more local, but um, the UK ports, aside from congestion, all the problems that are going to come, they're propping up the potential of free ports or, you know, absent EU regulation that it's easier to develop free ports. So I think that is something that was strong this week. Yeah, They took... Yeah every opportunity to do that and we'll have to see what happens you know, once Brexit happens and if they do actually try to implement any of these things and if they do yield the benefits well, there that, that, they, that they claim. We can fund the fourth industrial revolution, we're going to get through Brexit unharmed, green energy is coming our way and it'll all be fine. London Shipping Week has saved the day. 
Uh, all right, let's draw it to a close there. We've got a, a gala dinner to get to. We're all dressed up in our penguin suits. Michelle's got a new dress on. We need to go. Especially. We'll be back next week with the usual weekly podcast. Um, but uh, for those of you listening to this that haven't got round to listening to the other um, four editions that we've done for London Shipping Week, they will all be free to air and on our London Shipping Week page uh, for you to listen to at your leisure over the weekend. Uh, But for now, um, thank you all, um, and uh, thank you all for uh, listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.